Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. That completed card will get you a gift bag. We have a t-shirt and some stuff we want to give you, just our way of saying thank you so much for being with us today. So please make sure you do that at any time during the message today. And so we are in a series today. We'll just jump right into what we're doing. We're in a series today where we are looking at relationships, and uh, uh, this is actually my favorite, favorite series of the year, and we're not just talking about, about marriages, although we will talk a lot about your marriage. We're looking at relationships, so this is for all of you that are single and want to be married. This is for all of you, the couples that are dating, and those of you that are engaged. This is for everybody today, because there's nothing wrong with learning how to be good at being married, and all the married people said... Yeah, you can get good at it before you're actually doing it. So, so that's what this series is all about. And uh, the series is called From This Day Forward. It's five commitments to fail-proof your marriage. And it's based on a book called From This Day Forward by Pastor Craig Grishel. And uh, it's that book. We gave away a bunch of copies last week. So if you weren't here, you missed that opportunity. But no, there are free copies left at guest services. So as you go by today, if you want to grab one of those, those are free for you to take while supplies last. Once they're gone, they're gone. So get yourself a free copy, invest in your marriage. Another thing that I love about this particular season of uh, this relationship series is we're doing our very first marriage conference to go along with the series. So uh, we would love for you to join us. It's February 23rd and 24th. More information on our website about it, but it's called the XO Conference. And uh, I only bring it up again because uh, the early bird like uh, registration fee, which is $25 per couple, uh, it, it expired a couple weeks ago, but I got a call this week and they said, hey, listen, we pushed it out a little more. Today is the last day for early bird. So if you uh, register today, it's 25. If you register tomorrow, it's 35. So go ahead and do that. Make sure you just log on to our website, mysimplechurch.com, and it's one of the first things that you'll see there. Uh, invest in your marriage. Come join us. It's going to be a good time. It's a Friday night and it's Saturday morning. And uh, again, this series called From This Day Forward is from that book, um, but, but it really comes from, you've probably heard this phrase before, it comes from our marriage vows, right? Like, I take you to be my spouse and to have and to hold in sickness and in health from this day forward. That, that's where it's from, and, uh, and that's what we're focusing on is from this day forward. And our key verse, our key Bible verse is found for this series in Lamentations. Now, this is a book that was written by one of the prophets, Jeremiah, and he was called the weeping prophet because he lamented or cried about a lot of things. Uh, And so this is one of his things that he's lamenting. In chapter three, verse 19, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them, them and my soul is downcast within me. Basically, Jeremiah is saying, I remember all the times that I made mistakes. I remember all the ways that I went wrong in my life. And as a result of it, I'm depressed. As a result of it, I feel like I can't move forward. Like I'm realizing the weight of my own mistakes and it's kind of polarizing me. It's stopping me right where I'm at. He's feeling the weight of that, okay? And then he says in the next verse, he says, yet. And I love when you see a yet or when you see a but in the, in the Bible because it means that something's about to change. Like it's dark and yet. He says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. 
How many of you guys, if you think about your past, if you think about the decisions that you've made, the people that you dated, the, the, the mistakes that are in your past, it can feel a little hopeless. Sometimes you feel stuck. And he's like, hey, I got some hope and we all need some hope so that we can move forward. He says, my hope is this, is that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Man, I could preach a whole message on that in and of itself. He says, for his compassions never fail. Another translation says that his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is, he's saying, hey, listen, this is my hope. God's got great love for me, and that every day God's willing to give me a fresh start. His mercies are new every day. He's the God that says, here's a blank page for you to start over your life. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, from this day forward, it can be different. That's the kind of God he is. He doesn't care about what, where you've gone or what you've done. He's not concerned with your past. He's con concerned with you today, your right here and now, and your future. That's all God cares about. Not concerned with it. He's willing to give you that. And Jeremiah is saying, I got hope because this is the kind of God I have. His mercy is new every day. I need to get that kind of mindset. So in this series, we, we're trying to grab that kind of mindset because if you've been in a marriage series before or maybe have gone through counseling or, or going through some difficult stuff in your marriage right now, you know how hard it is to be in these seats right now. It's a little difficult for you. And I get it because you're like, man, we've tried this before, or I've listened to all the other series, or maybe we've tried counseling and nothing's worked, and so you feel a little hopeless. But I'm going to tell you, if you commit to these five things we're looking at, that from this day forward, you can increase your odds that things will change. And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're grabbing hold of that positive outlook, that God outlook, that from this day forward, things can change. And we're answering this question, are great marriages possible? Yes, yes, great marriages are possible. However, based on the statistics, they're not very probable. They're, they're just not. In fact, 50% of marriages today end in divorce. That's just where they head. And you would think inside the church that because we're Christ followers, because we have the Holy Spirit, that our relationships would be better. But that's not the case. The number is the same. 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. And so if you want to change your odds, there's five things that you can commit to from this day forward. And I've got them here on these graphics. First, it's this one over here. This is what we talked about last week. This is Seek God. This one here is Fight Fair. And that's me falling over the musical instruments right there. Fight Fair. Have fun. Stay pure. Never give up. Let's try it. Let's see if you guys have got it. It's only week two, but it's right here. Let's do it together. Seek God. Fight fair. Have fun. Stay pure. Never give up. That's the five things that you can do. And so last week, we talked about seek God, all right? And we said, here's the, here's the goal of this, is that we need to seek our one, and our one not being each other. Like you, we're always looking for the one, that one person that will complete us. And we said, God is our one, and our spouse is our two. So we said, we'll seek our one with our two. That means arranging our lives to demonstrate to God that he is the priority relationship, seeking him together. In fact, we looked at three simple ways to do that that the Harvard Business School says changes your odds from 50-50 to one out of 1,246 marriages that would fail. Those are pretty good odds. That if you would pray together, talk about the Bible together, and go to church, that your odds would change. And so that, that's the nutshell of the message from last week. If you missed it, 
You can listen to it on our podcast or catch it online. And then this week, we're going to talk about fighting fair. Because it's not if you fight, it's when you fight. You're going to fight at some point in time. Every relationship experiences conflict. But what we need to learn how to do is fight for our marriages, not just in our marriages, all right? The third one is have fun. Now, this one is going to be our PG-13 message, all right? This one includes romance. So if you have kids, we want to encourage you next week to make sure that you get them checked into our fantastic kids ministry. They're going to have a great time, all right? So, so do that. And then the week after is stay pure. Now, look, I'm going to tell you that if we don't get this one right, that all of our marriages are headed the way of the world. That means they're going down. Because if we handle our marriages the same way as everybody else, we have no hope. If we continue to let all the things in that the world lets in, if we, let them, if we watch the same shows, if we listen to the same stuff, if we participate in the same way they do, then our marriages have no chance of survival. And so we need to stay pure. And then the last one is never give up. And Winston Churchill, former prime minister of the UK, said this, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in. And I think that's a great quote for what that that message is going to be about that day. Never give up. And so today, let's jump into it. We're going to talk about how to fight fair. And to kick us off, I've got two verses, one for the guys and one for the gals. Guys, let me give you this verse. This one's for you. Proverbs 27, 15, it's not going to be up on the screen, but it says, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. And all the men said, oh, you guys are brave. Look, I did that first service and not a guy didn't say a thing. There was, it was silent in here. I was like, oh, y'all are scared. That's what, smart and smart. That's what you were. I meant to say smart. But a quarrelsome, critical, nagging wife is like a constant drip. Drip, drip, drip. It's just irritating, all right? Now, ladies, I'm not going to leave you out. Here's a verse for you, okay? It is better to have severe hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who's a jerk. <laughs> and all the ladies said. That, that verse is not actually in the Bible. I just want you to know that. That's, that's second to long 119 right there. It's just, uh, just making it up as we go. Is he allowed to do that? Yeah, it's just fun. How many of you guys have ever been in a silly fight before? Show of hands. Come on, play along with me. It's no fun if you don't. All right. How many of you guys fight on the way to church? How many of you guys fought on the way to church this morning? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> One honest couple, and they're sitting together, so that must mean they're, they're, they're love, they love each other. My wife and I used to fight on the way to church every Sunday. We fixed that, though. We drive separate, and uh, so I just, that doesn't happen no more. We've, we've had some silly fights in our relationship. I know you guys have had some, too, and one of the, one of the worst fights um, that does not make me look very good as a human being that I'm going to share with you, and you may make a decision to attend another church, and I don't blame you, but... Uh, Early on in my marriage, my, uh, my wife, it was all over a toothbrush, and some of you know this story, but plenty of you don't, so I'll share it again, but <clears throat> years ago, my wife got obsessed by the, uh, the grout, so that's the white space in between the tiles in the bathroom uh, and the shower stall, and she went in one, one weekend, and she was scrubbing. Man, she was working hard, and, and it looked great when she was done, uh, but when she was finished, and she would say she was not done, but... Uh, but, but when she finished for the day, she took the cleaning supplies out, but she left the toothbrush laying on the floor of the shower stall. 
And so when I went to get into the shower the next morning, I saw the, the toothbrush there, and it was kind of laying on the side. And instead of bending over to pick it up, guys, that's what I should have done, I decided I was going to kick it to the center of the, of the shower stall so that when she got in, she'd see it. Well, it's nice that you cleaned, but you left your stuff behind. So the next morning, I get in, and the toothbrush is to the side of the stall again, on the ground, but not in the center where I put it. So uh, when I was done with the shower, I kicked it back to the center so she'd have to see it when she got in and clean up her mess. The next morning I got in, it was kicked to the side again. This went on for more than a week. Every day, getting in the shower, kicking it to the center of the shower so that she would see it, and she didn't pick it up. So I picked up the toothbrush. That's not what I did. That's not that's what I'd like to tell you I did. I didn't. I actually went through the whole house, and I gathered up all the extra toothbrushes we had. They were all in packages, and I broke them out of the package. I called my mom. Hey, mom. This is what's going on, and this is what I'm going to do. Do you have any extra toothbrushes? Oh, yeah, I got some toothbrushes. I came by, and I picked them up from her. I probably had 12 toothbrushes in my hands. I took them to the shower stall, and I went like this, and I just threw them. They were all over the shower. It's like I planted a bomb and was just waiting. So I'm sitting in the bedroom, and she heads into the shower stall, and I'm kind of giddy. I can't wait. She walks in and opens that shower stall up. She says, hey, what's the deal with all the toothbrushes? This really happened. I'm not making this up. She said, what's the deal with all the toothbrushes on the floor? And I said, I'm sorry. I just thought that's where we were keeping all the toothbrushes now. This was not a good idea. And this is when the fight started. And then it got worse when I told her that my mom was in on it as well. You told your mom? Why didn't you just pick up the toothbrush? That's what I should have done. But we all get into stupid fights, don't we? Silly fights. And, we're, and we all fight. Every couple does. But healthy couples fight fair. And the reason we all fight is because we're all sinners. We, we all have a sin issue. We're all selfish. If we're being honest... We all want what we want. We want it our way. We don't want to hear about your way. We want it our way right away. Like, I want it now. Like, I got to have it. And so we fight. Some people fight fair, though. Other people fight dirty. Some relationships, they fight dirty. They're giving little jabs the whole time while they're fighting about whatever it is. Other relationships are, they're healthy. They, they fight towards resolution. Others of them fight just for victory. They got to win. In fact, Dr. John Gottman, who's a marriage specialist, did a study on marriages over 16 years of time. And he said, I can tell you whether or not a relationship is going to last based on one thing, how they fight. Because if they don't fight well, the relationship is never going to make it. And so as couples, I'm going to tell you, you're going to fight, but you need to know how to do it right. And so we need to seek God, and we need to fight fair. And so our verse for the day and our focus that will help guide us through how we're going to fight is James 1, 19. It says this, everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Look, it's time for us to learn how to fight for our marriages, not just in our marriages. And that will require us to fight fair. And this verse is God's plan for how we're going to do that. So let's look at it. The first thing he tells us in a fight that we need to do is to stop to listen carefully. He says, everyone should be quick to listen. Everybody quick to listen. Now, we don't do that really, really well. We're all quick to speak. We're all quick to share our mind, to share our thoughts. We're not quick to listen. We want to let people know exactly what we're thinking. We want to make a point. We want to get a low blow in instead of being quick to listen. We all have to talk. In fact, me, just the other day, my wife said, you never listen to me. And I thought, that's a really strange way to start a conversation. Let it sink in. It'll get there. But we don't listen very well, especially us guys, do we? We, we just, we don't pay attention really well. We, guys are very different than girls. We're wired different than girls are. In fact, there's a great book called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. And it describes a guy and says that guys do everything in these little compartments, like little boxes, okay? And that when we're in our box, like we're in our work box, it is difficult for us to also be in our relationship box. So when we're in our work box and the spouse calls when we're in a work box, we have to actually mentally process that and get out of the work box and get into the relationship box in order to handle the phone call properly. Otherwise, we're irritated and things don't go really well. I can't, I, I don't transition that easily. When I'm in, in my watching TV box, I mean, my wife can be right there talking to me and I can't hear a word that she's saying. In fact, I've even got a nothing box. Like my wife will say, what are you thinking about? Nothing, because I'm actually in my nothing box. I got nothing in my brain. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? And all the men are like, yeah, we, we got a nothing box. We really think about nothing. Now, women don't understand that because women are like spaghetti. They're interconnected to everything, anything and everything. They're just wrapped around it. They can do a hundred things at once. You women are impressive species. You're just incredible to me, and I don't understand you. In fact, I get a little frustrated with my wife because she can do so many things at once. Like she could be Facebooking, texting somebody, making dinner for the kids, and trying to have conversation with me all at once. And it just irritates me to no end. And so sometimes I think she's not paying attention. And I have a test. And she always passes the test. But here's the test. You ready for it? it Please don't be upset at me because of what I'm getting ready to say, but I'll just talk. So I went to the store the other day and I, I was looking at this stuff on the shelf and I, I, I decided to go ahead and buy a third nipple and then I went on to the rest of it and I just throw out this phrase, third nipple. And I'm telling you, every time I do, she goes, I heard your third nipple, I got you. Like she picks up on it every single time. Like I just try to throw something random in there to see if she's paying attention. Did he just say nipple? I did, I apologize, like four times. But I do that. I, I do that to, because we're wired different. We're made different. But we all don't listen very well. We, we were more, we're more in tune with what we want to say, but we need to be quick to listen. Now, I know that this is simple, and it'd probably be very easy to pass up. But you need to understand it's so important that when we're fighting, we need to slow down, actually stop, and listen to what the other person is saying. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 18, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Basically, you're saying, I don't care what you're saying. This is what I'm saying. This is my point. I don't need to understand you. Understand me. 
And it's not listening. It's yelling over the other person. It's making sure your point is heard and you completely miss the other person's point. And the Bible calls us foolish because of this. Because we're refusing to gain understanding. We're refusing to listen and understand what somebody else is saying. It says that we're fools. Because we just want to win. And that's not fighting fair. So here's some ways to help you listen in an argument. Two things that you can do. The first thing you can do is just repeat back what they just said. That's a really simple thing. Say this line. What I hear you saying is this. What it does is it helps you stay focused in the conversation. Because if they don't think you're listening, the situation escalates. Because you'll go from fighting about the thing you're fighting about to start fighting about how you're fighting. Do you follow? Start getting mad. You're not even listening to me. You don't know what I just said. So if you say back to them, so what I hear you saying is, you're letting them know that you heard them. It's important. It keeps the conversation focused and brings you to resolution, not victory. It's different. Fight fair. The second thing you can do is validate each other's feelings. This is not admitting that the other person is right. It's just saying, I understand. I understand that you feel this way when I do this. Because they're upset about something. They've got emotions attached to it. I understand that, that I made you feel this way when I did that. It repeats back what they're saying. So what I hear you saying is this. And it makes you feel this way because I did this. It keeps the conversation focused. You'll move towards resolution a lot faster instead of focusing on the fight itself. So stop to listen carefully. And when you do, it communicates, I value what you're saying. The second thing James tells us to do is to guard your words faithfully. Look, it says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Look, I love how clear this verse is. Slow to speak. But Proverbs makes it even clearer. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. I like that. That helps me understand clearly what the Bible says. And it says, if you'll do this, you'll stay out of trouble. Now, this is a great verse. But it's not a great verse to quote to your spouse when you're in a fight. <laughs> Bible says, keep your mouth shut. Don't do that. That's, that's not okay. That's not where we want to be, all right? No, the Bible's telling you to close your mouth. It's telling you, not for you to tell someone else. You do it. You shut your mouth, and then you'll be able to listen better. You say, all right, Aaron, if I'm shutting my mouth, how am I supposed to engage in the conversation? I'm so glad you asked. Because you do need to shut your mouth, but you need to ask yourself two questions before you say what you're going to say. You need to say, should what I'm about to say be said now or be said and should it be said now? Should I say this and should it be said now? Because there are likely things that need to be brought up. There are likely issues that need to be dealt with. But do they need to be dealt with now? Should I bring this up and should it be dealt with now? For, for years ago, when my wife and I just got married, when we first started fighting, we developed a rule really quick because I would bring an issue or a complaint to her and I'd say, hey, listen, you did this and it made me feel this. And she goes, well, when you do this, it makes me feel this. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're never gonna move towards resolution 
If every time I bring you something that I gotta complain about, you, you issue another complaint about me. I even said, if you really cared about that, we'd have been having a conversation another time. Now, you, we can't fight this way. Let's put that one on pause and we'll deal with it in a moment, but let's deal with this one first. And we've honored that over the years when we come to each other with an issue. We do not fire back with something else. It's likely it needs to be dealt with, but probably not now, right? So we honor that. We develop these rules. And you say, Aaron, where, where did you get your rules from? Well, most of the rules that we have for how we're going to fight and in our marriage did not come from times of conflict. That one did in particular. But most of them don't. They come from times of blessing in our marriage, non-conflict times, where we look at each other and say, hey, listen, we ask each other two questions. How can I make you feel more loved? And how am I doing as a spouse? Now, those are dangerous questions, but they're important. When you ask them in non-conflict times, first of all, how can I make you feel more loved? The recent time I asked my wife this, she said, if you just make me breakfast. I said, that's it? That's how I win, is make you breakfast? Two eggs over easy and some bacon and toast? That makes her very happy. So that's a win for me. She gave me the keys to the kingdom. And then I asked, how am I doing as a spouse? And it's in those times when you approach them in non-conflict times that you have positive momentum and you can actually get down to do some work. Because get ready, there may be something you could do better. But in those times, they're not as painful to hear. And so listen, I, I understand that those are, those are positive things to do. And guys, if you want to remember to do this, just do it on your anniversary every year. That's a simple one. When you're having dinner with your loved one on that night, whatever you're celebrating, hey, how am I doing? How can I do better? That's a, that's a, a very positive uh, time to do that, all right? And I realize that even if you try to address these things in non-conflict times, you're still going to fight. And so when you fight, though, there's ways to do it. Uh, and there, it's, it's healthier to do it when you're not in a fight, like to approach those things. But you're going to still fight, and that's why you need rules. And early in our marriage, we decided to have rules about how we were going to fight. I even teach them when I do premarital sessions with people. If I'm going to marry you, you're going to learn these. And so quite a few people in this church have already heard these things. It's just review for you. But I'm going to give them to you because I think we've been sold a lie that many of us believed. And, and you've believed this since school. In fact, your parents probably told it to you when somebody called you a name. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And that's just not true. Sticks, sticks and stones, you're going to heal eventually. But words, man, words are powerful. Words can shift somebody's life, the trajectory of it. They're painful. They wound deeply. And they don't heal as quick as sticks and stones. Now, if you're taking notes, I did not just give you permission to hit your spouse. Violence is not the way. I said, Pastor just said, that's the way to go. They'll heal a lot better than if I use my words. That's, that's not what I said. I'm just saying we believe the lie that, that words don't hurt. They do. They're very, very painful. And so you need to guard your words faithfully and get some rules for how you're gonna fight. Get, get some rules. Look, there's, there's a group of guys that gather. It's one of our grow groups. And they get together and they watch the MMAs every Sunday. The stuff from Saturday night, they record it. They watch it on Sunday afternoons. Each one of those fights have rules that they know before they get into the ring. They did not decide in the middle of the fight to get some rules, and you need to do the same. Get some rules. So here's a few that I can give you, and if, you, if you'd like to, you can make some more. I would encourage you to do it, to have a conversation 
uh, with, the, with the person you're, you're in a relationship with, but get some rules and honor them. Here's one, never call names. Never, ever call names in the fight. Look, I mean, if you want to call like pet names, you know, like Snooky or, or like uh, Sugar Booger or whatever, I, I don't care. That's fine. Pet names are fine. Those are all sweet. But don't, don't get into calling names. It's just hurtful. It's the wrong time to do it, and it just escalates the fight. My, in my marriage, my wife said, listen, there is one name that if you ever call me that, I will cut you. She said, you know what that B word is. If you ever use that, I will, I will cut you. You know my wife. She'll cut me. That's the truth. <laughs> second, second thing is never raise your voice. This is a hard thing for me. I'm a yeller. Man, we got, I get into intense moments of conflict. I'm a yeller. And so I've had to work and put, continue to put this before God in prayer, and he's still working on me, right? I'm not perfect. But just know that every time I choose to yell or every time I allow myself to yell, it makes the situation worse, and I know that. In fact, I even developed a code word with my kids, like, hey, Dad, take a time out. Like, if I'm yelling, take a time out, and I'll honor that, and I'll de-escalate real quick, and I thank them for their help in that. Like, it's important that we don't yell. It, it, just, it just escalates, all right? Never get historical. Don't get historical. Listen, don't be a history major. Leave the past in the past. You don't need to bring up the hundred times they've done the same thing over and over again. Just deal with that one instance, all right? The next one is never say never or always. Never say never or always. I realize I just said never do it, but never say never or always. These are universal statements. And when you say, well, you never or you always, it's very overwhelming. It's offensive because most of the time, they're rarely true. Those statements are rarely true about somebody. So instead of using a universal statement that you never or you always, just talk, just talk about the instance. You did this this week, and it made me feel. D don't, don't go to that place because it's unfair, it's offensive, and it's overwhelming. The next one is never threaten divorce. In a fight, the last thing you want to do is continue to do this because it's manipulative. That's why you're doing it. You want to get your way instead of gaining understanding and honoring each other and finding resolution. This is like the trump card. And I promise you, if you continue to threaten divorce, you're eventually going to get it. So if that's not where you want to head, don't threaten divorce. It's one thing to identify a pattern in your relationship that, hey, if we continue moving down this path, where are we going to wind up? We're going to wind up divorced. All right, so let's not do that, okay? Let's, let's adjust it. That's not threatening divorce. That's a healthy understanding of where you're at. But in a fight, you never want to threaten divorce. And then the last thing, don't ever quote me during a fight. Look, you got yourself into this situation. You get yourself out of it, all right? Don't bring me in and don't quote me. So... Let's stop to listen carefully, let's guard our words faithfully, and let's handle our anger righteously. Let's handle our anger righteously. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Look, I'm going to tell you, there's some things that you're going to do to each other that, that when they do it, you just need to let it go. You need to decide, is this worth it? Is this worth getting upset about? Is this worth the anger? Because ladies, I'm going to tell you, and guys, I'm going to help you here. 
Men do stupid things. We just do stupid stuff. And it's probably not going to change. <laughs> so just let it go. Um, guys, I'm not giving you a pass. I'm just trying to help you out, all right? Let's be slow to anger. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 is that in your anger, do not sin. The Bible says don't, it does not say don't be angry. No, it says in your anger, don't sin. Don't do anything sinful while you're angry. Anger is normal. It's an emotion God gave you. He's not telling you not to be angry. He's saying when you're angry, it's important what you do. It says don't sin. And then he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as soon as you got married, you developed a skill, a skill set, and, and developed a characteristic that you didn't know you had. And it's how to go to bed angry. There's two ways people go to bed angry. The first way we go to bed angry is we go silent, cold, indifferent. We aren't even letting them touch us with their toes, right? Nope, you're not getting any toe loving tonight. Get your, go to your side of the bed. We don't want them to touch us. We turn over, face the other way. You go cold. We don't even respond to them if they talk. And the other way we go to bed angry is the huff and puff. <sighs> Just lay there. My wife's a huff and puffer and I'm the cold. I'm the, I go cold and quiet. Well, I'm not even talking. I'm not even going to acknowledge you. I'm just, I just got my back turned and I'm done. But she'll sit over there and huff and puff. And I just know when she's going to bed angry. How many, how many, how many silent people and stone cold people do we have out there? How, who's all the huff and puffers? We got a few. Oh, some of you guys just aren't even being honest. Just not even, I'm not even putting myself in there. I'm both of them. Yeah, I'm both. I do it both. But the Bible says don't go to bed angry. Now, for the longest time, and the commitment my wife and I made is to not go to bed angry. That meant we were going to stay up until we dealt with the situation. Until we found a resolution. And we stayed up until 2, 3 in the morning. And it was beautiful to do that, to find a resolution to the situation. However, that's not what the Bible says. It says, don't go to bed angry. It means deal with the emotion before you go to sleep. The way you deal with the emotion is if you're angry when you go to bed, it's between you and God. Because you need to forgive that person and deal with your heart on the matter first. That way you can go to bed not angry and wake up and deal with it the next day. Because I think there's some wisdom to getting some rest and looking at that thing again in the morning. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible says don't go to bed angry because if you go to bed angry, here's what happens. The way you leave your day is the way you start your day. And many of you have gone to bed angry and you wake up the next day and you're just madder than a hornet. No eggs and bacon for you. Uh-uh. You're not getting a kiss before you leave for work. You'll be lucky if I said, have a nice day. And if I do, it's like, mm-hmm, have a nice day. <laughs> Come on. I'm right there with you. I'm just like you. Don't, don't hide from me. That's real, right? So what happens when we go to bed angry? We wake up angry. And when we do that, we give the devil a foothold into our relationship. This is what the Bible's talking about. Deal with your anger before you go to sleep. Because some issues can't be resolved if you stayed up all night. So deal with it. Deal with the anger. Get rest. Deal with it the next day. So let's seek God and let's fight fair. Let's stop to listen carefully. Let's guard our words faithfully and handle our anger righteously. 
And when we as couples fight, we can't react by the flesh. We have to respond by the Spirit. And to do these things that I've talked about today will take the Holy Spirit helping you. You'll need God's help. These are not things that are going to come naturally to you. You're going to need his help to remember to do them and to, to be disciplined to do them. Now, as we close today and we're kind of wrapping things up, I want to just tell you that I'm aware there's a lot of you in this room that you're fighting for a lot of different reasons in your marriage. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And there's a lot of very valid reasons that you're fighting, not just over silly things. You're fighting either because of neglected responsibilities, which may be small or maybe large. You're fighting because of maybe you came home and caught your spouse watching porn or maybe, maybe somebody cheated on somebody or, or maybe there's some abuse in the relationship and these are very, very difficult things to deal with. I, I get it. I'm not making light of them in any way, shape, or form. I'm letting you know I understand why you're fighting. But I want to speak to you, those of you that are dealing with difficult battles right now in your home and in your marriage, that I believe that if you'll do two things, seek God. If, you, if you'll seek God first and fight fair, I believe that God can bring healing to that relationship. I, I absolutely believe it. Now, that no matter why you're fighting, God can help you. And so there's, there's four warning signs as you're fighting. And if you're getting baptized today, I want to go ahead and dismiss you. We're going to dismiss, uh, dismiss all of you that are doing that, and then uh, we're going to baptize here in a few minutes. But uh, if there's four warning signs that you aren't fighting fair, and they'll play out in your marriage this way. And if you find yourself in any of these four things, let me, let me tell you that you're going to need some help, and God's help for sure. Especially if you're stuck there. The first, thing, the first stage is in a criticizing stage. If you're stuck in criticism, that's where you're, you are attacking the person. It's not that you are making a complaint because a complaint is generally about a behavior. A criticism is an assault on that person. It's an assault on their character. It's an assault on who they are. And if you remain in a critical state, you're in, very, you're, you're in danger. Because what happens is if you stay there, you move into the next stage, which is contempt. And contempt is where you actually become disgusted with that person that you're in a relationship with. There's a lot of eye rolling. There's a lot of sarcastic, uh, sarcastic remarks. You can't stand to be around them. And this is dangerous because if you stay in a state of contempt with that person, then you move into the next one, which is defensiveness. And if you get into a defensive state, what happens is you stop taking responsibility for your part in the issue. Because it takes two to tango, guys. You're blaming everybody. Everybody else's fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. And when you stay in a defensive mode, you wind up in the next place, and that is where you're stonewalling the person that you're in a relationship with. You grow cold indifferent to their presence in your life and you basically cut them off let me tell you what happens when life stops flowing to that relationship it will come to an end in the same way when blood stops flowing to a part of your body it dies and that part of your body has to be cut off because if it doesn't get cut off it, the disease will spread to the rest of your body 
In the same way in your marriage relationship, if you stay in a state of stonewalling, not only will the relationship die, but everyone around you begins to suffer. It spreads toxins. Toxin to your kids, toxin into your relationships. Everywhere you go, you take that stuff with you. And eventually something has to be cut off. This is not where you want to be. This is not God's best for your relationship and for your life. But I promise you that if you'll seek God, that when you do, when you make him the priority relationship, that what he gives you is his life. What he gives you is his power for that relationship. What he gives you is his wisdom to love each other well. And he changes your heart so that you can fight fair. So that you can honor your relationship. And when you fight fair, you're fighting for your marriage, not just in your marriage. And when you fight, you're not gonna do it, do it in a way that that you're looking for victory. You're gonna do it looking for resolution. So if you seek God, and you fight fair, and you have fun, stay pure, and you never give up. You can change your odds, but your marriage will make it to the very end. If you commit to these things from this day forward, let's pray. (coughs) Father, I just, I thank you for your word that challenges our hearts. Lord, I know that some of this stuff isn't easy to hear, Some of this stuff isn't gonna be easy to do. Fighting fair is hard. We need your Holy Spirit. We need you to empower us for this. We ask for you to help us. We ask you to help us to be good listeners. We ask you to help us to guard our words. We ask you to help us, Lord, to deal with our anger appropriately. Lord, we ask for you to help us to fight for our marriages, not in them. Give us the wisdom, God, as we go and have conversations with our spouse and those we're in relationship with. Give us wisdom to develop the rules for when we fight and give us the strength to stick to those rules. Lord, for every, every marriage that is experiencing a difficult fight right now, I pray, God, that your grace would abound. I pray that they would give forgiveness to each other quickly. And I pray, God, that you're healing, that you would just heal that relationship. Begin healing that relationship from this day forward. As we continue to pray, I just want to say that there are people in this room that you've been fighting, but you've not just been fighting in your marriage or in your relationships, you've just been fighting God. You've been resistant to Him, resistant to a relationship with Him. But listen, God's here in this place right now and He's ready for a relationship with you. He's not concerned of what's taken you away from him because it's, there's probably very legit things that have caused you to not want to be in relationship with him. Maybe it was a church. Maybe it was a pastor. Somebody in leadership there. Maybe, maybe, maybe your parents made you go to church when you were a kid and now you, you, know, your whole, you spent your whole adult life not wanting anything to do with it. Or maybe there's just been some brokenness in your life. Or maybe you've even felt like, God, I've done too many things. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person. Listen, all those things are not greater than God's love for you. He loves you so much. He's not concerned with your past. He's concerned with you right here and right now. In fact, he's ready regardless of your past to be in relationship with you so that you can experience his love and you can know him. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment that begins that journey of you knowing God. 
And if you want to be counted in on that journey, I will not make you stand up. I will not make you come to the front. But I am asking as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, that if you're ready to say, God, I'm done fighting you. I need you and I want to be in a relationship with you. If you're ready to do that, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Would you just do that now? Do it now. Do it now. Aaron, I'm ready. It's awesome. All right, let's pray. Church, let's all pray together. Nobody needs to pray by themselves. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I'm done fighting you, God. I ask you to give me a new life and show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now the Bible